The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Baseball world. This is Kyle Brown coming at you on the On the Farm podcast on the old Pitcherless Podcast Network. When I say old, I mean brand new this season. We got hundreds, thousands, millions of podcasts at this point. I can't really keep track. Definitely going to want to go check out that uh, that Pitcherless Pods Twitter and the Pitcherless in general because uh, it's just it's content out of, out of the just coming out of our ears over there. But I have two of the Dynasty team with me tonight on the On the Farm podcast. You can catch Mr. Jack Cecil and Mr. Natan Crystal Deman tonight with me. We're going to talk a little bit Dynasty. We're going to talk a little bit about what they do at Pitcher List. And yeah, I, uh, I just want to say welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing, Jack? Great. How are you? Man, I'm doing all right. I had some good sausages. For dinner, cooked up some peppers and onions, feeling good about it. I got a nice dunkle. All in all, I really can't complain. Yeah. How are you doing, Natan? Pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Of course. This is, just so everyone knows, this is Natan's first podcast ever. We are breaking him into the podcast world. He will be live and accessible uh, throughout the globe after this. So no pressure whatsoever. And uh, you can catch, uh, let's see, you can catch us on the podcast. So we, you know, get through the niceties at first. You can catch the podcast on Twitter at OnTheFarmPL. You can catch me at CaughtLooking, spelled with a V instead of a U, the Roman way. And then you can check out all the Pitcherless Pods at Pitcherless Pods on Twitter. So those are our Twitters. Jack, where can people find you on Twitter? You can reach me at JackCecil1. I'm not a riveting Twitter follow, but if anyone has any questions that they send me, I would, be, I would definitely answer you. There you go. He is very available on Twitter, you know, and it's hard to say what is riveting these days because I've been checking out a little bit of that slow TV from Norway where it's just a train going through the mountains for nine hours. And apparently this is popular in Norway. So there's really no, there's no accounting for taste. So just be careful what you wish for with people asking you questions on Twitter there, Jack. Uh, Natan, where can people find you? Uh, I'm also not the most riveting Twitter follow, but Natan underscore CD. Yeah, I don't post all that much. Uh, social media is pretty hard, but uh, um, that's fine, dude. That's that's where so, social media is going. No one has any idea where it's yeah. going. We're all just on it, acting a fool. Uh, you know, if you want to be riveting on Twitter, 
if you want to be riveting on Twitter, just go on there, drop spicy takes that are mostly wrong, but drop them with confidence and then wait for a couple of things to come in and then delete the original tweet and then just go back in there and start answering as if they're the psychopaths. I've found that to yield a lot of Twitter activity personally. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, like I said, both these guys are on the dynasty team at PitcherList, where we, and I'm part of that as well. And we come out with top fifties prospect analysis, you know, dynasty sort of, uh, Dynasty strategy, um, dynasty strategy analysis, all those things. Anything that has to do with the minor leagues has to do with dynasty fantasy baseball. We are going to be about it. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, I will start off with uh, with Jack. What what are you uh, other than the dynasty team? What are you doing sort of at pitcher list? What do you want to uh, what do you want? What do you like writing about? Sort of give me a little bit of, you know, and, and how did you get into baseball in the minor leagues? Sure. So, uh I write about whatever I want to write about. So, so far I've done a couple of different dynasty lists. Uh, I did an article about my predictive model for plate discipline. And then I've, uh, I've done a little bit here and there, but that's like pretty much the chunk of it going forward. It's going to be mostly uh, scouting reports and guys that I see when I travel to various tournaments for my job. So I work for synergy Synergy is a MLB contractor that goes out to amateur tournaments and uh, we film it exactly how a minor league team would film the game for the team itself, not for public consumption. So I have this access to basically like MLB quality video of all sorts of minor league tournaments. So it's going to be something that branches off of the fact that I'm lucky enough to have access to that. That is pretty awesome, man. That is super cool. And in your past, you worked for some some major league teams along your way? Correct. So last year, I sort of worked for the Angels. Uh, things didn't really go according to plan. And then two years, two seasons prior to that, I was with Oakland in Stockton and Beloit, Wisconsin. So low A and high A. That is pretty awesome. So how, why originally, how did you get into to following the minor leagues originally? What, what sort of drew you to that beyond the, the major league game? So I just wanted to work in baseball. I, I mean, we can really, really get into it. Basically, I was uh, at a job that I didn't like at all and started to look at like the same piece of data that everyone was looking at at the time and realized like there were, it started to seem that getting into baseball wasn't as hard as I initially made it, made it out to be. So I started writing at that point for SB Nation uh, then this company called Baseball Info Solutions offered me a job after like I posted a million times on SB Nation. So I went out and worked for Baseball Info Solutions in Allentown, Pennsylvania for two years and then went to uh, to Oakland or to work for Oakland. That is pretty awesome, man. Yeah, I've uh, I, you know, it's it definitely is. It's nice that you found that it, it wasn't so like, I mean, obviously you had to, to work hard to get there and stuff, but it's sort of fun when you look at a potential dream and you're like, Oh wait, this might actually be accomplishable in a way that I previously thought it was just some huge mountain. I couldn't climb. So that's pretty awesome that you did that, man. I'm that's uh, makes me, makes me jealous. I don't hate my job right now. So that is also good, but I have hated jobs in the past and I, I currently never worked in baseball. So, so kudos to you, dude. Kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, so Natan, tell me, what uh, what do you do at Pitcher List? What are you trying to do in the future of Pitcher List for the upcoming season? And why do you love baseball? Why do you love the minor leagues? And, and yeah, what's going on? What's your path? Who are you? Uh, well, let's see. I am pretty new to Pitcher List. Uh, 
you know, since November. Uh, so far, I've done a couple of top 50 lists. I did the Rays and the Dodgers. Um, and I've been doing the weekly prospect roundup uh, every Sunday during spring training. I've done a couple going deeps, um, not about prospects yet. I've done one about seam shifted wake and the effectiveness of sinkers on contact depression. I've done one about Garrett Richards um, and one about Jake Cronenworth so far. Looking to continue that as the season goes on. Um, yeah, I'm a full-time student. Currently, I'm a junior at UMass majoring in sport management. Um, I've kind of thought I've wanted to get into baseball since I was a kid. I was seven, you know, seventh grade. Um, I was never very good at baseball. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the bench kind of listening to coaches talk about strategy. And so I think I picked up on some stuff there. Um, so I kind of stopped playing pretty early and then kind of shifted my focus to the baseball industry as a whole. So I, I wouldn't say I ever really, I mean, I really got into prospects. Um, I'd say probably 2015-ish, but I, I enjoy all aspects of baseball pretty equally. So, Did you grow up with a minor league team around you? or I did not. I grew up in uh, Bay Area, so... We had kind of when the Giants were starting their dynasty, um, when the A's were, were pretty good. The A's are always pretty good. Um, and I guess the San Jose Giants um, would be the closest minor league team to me. But Yeah, it'd be tough to, to necessarily go there if you can get tickets to those Giants games. And, yes, the A's are always good, and it is mildly infuriating as a Pirates fan that they are always good. But then, of course, it's mildly infuriating as an A's fan to never actually be able to crest over into the world of, I don't know, the world series. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I did some top fifties as well uh, for, for pitcher list this year. I did the Mets and the Cleveland baseball team. And I also did the twins. Uh, I I'm originally from Rochester, New York. And so I spent a lot of time with that. A uh, lot of those twins minor leaguers since the days of Justin Morneau and Joe Maurer uh, coming up through Rochester. So sadly that, that time is over, but I also would have, taking the St. Paul Saints up on their, their proximity to my major league team if I was the Minnesota Twins, so I, I can't hate on that too much. I feel bad for my father, who has to watch the Nationals organization now come through the, the Rochester Red Wings because they are rough. They are rough. I don't believe they have a top 100 prospect right now. I'm curious, though, in your, uh, you know, and I'll start with you, Jack, in your, in your top 50s, you know, I know you did some teams that you know really well. You did some teams that you're getting to know, and you did some teams that – you know, you halfway know, or that's at least the way you described it to me. Do you, did you find any players that changed your mind or, you know, some hidden gems or some, some players you dug deeper on where you were like, I just, I, you know, you had your mind changed. And then also sort of piggybacking on all those questions. How did you deal with sort of, you know, personally with the, the lack of new information for a lot of, for a lot of this, when it came to analyzing, you know, the prospect situation. So I guess I was fortunate that I, uh, I didn't do it alone. So I was like, I have friends with the Padres. Obviously I have friends with Oakland and the angels. So like I got with Oakland, I pretty much knew all 50 guys like pretty quickly. So that wasn't, that wasn't difficult. Uh, Padres. I kind of just threw out every name I could come with on top of my head right off the bat. And that was, tougher because I went from low A to high A. So I saw basically the same guys in the Padre system two years in a row, just in two different leagues. And from there, I just uh, was buddies with one of the Padres video guys and just 
bounced people off of him and then talked to people that were in other leagues that played against Padres people. And it just kind of was a big aggregation. So uh, it just like a lot of teams, even though the Padres were the hardest for me and they're not, a t- they're not very hard to come up with 50 guys, which other teams it definitely is. It dropped off like at a certain point, like it became uninteresting more or less. So like there were guys that you could look at it and say one guy's ahead of the other, but I would stop splitting hairs pretty early, which I think is probably the case with most people on most lists. I would agree. It was it definitely, I, I sort of refer to it as the, the cliff when you're doing a top 50, you just hit this point where you realize, all right, I don't necessarily think there's all that much separating these guys. And I'm getting to the point where I don't even necessarily think they're going to make the major leagues. So I'm going to try my best not to be disparaging, but also be realistic about, you know, what, what is actually, what is actually possible. So it sounds like you, you know, you, you certainly knew a lot coming in and your, your knowledge and your ability to, to reach out to your contacts sort of helped you a lot. So maybe you didn't find any, uh, any, any players that really surprised you when you dug deep. eh? I mean, I guess I didn't know a lot about, uh, I'm not totally sure how Tucupita Marcano's name is supposed to be pronounced. And I, um, like didn't know a ton about him, but then like kept hearing about him as I, and then like noticed that he was doing pretty well. So that was like a person that stuck out to me, but it wasn't, I don't know. There wasn't a ton of like, there weren't guys that I was like, I had no idea who they were and then dug in and then all of a sudden was like, how did I ever let this person slip by? Which I think is good. Yeah. No surprises. Yeah. Not being, not being surprised is not necessarily a bad thing at all. That's that can be totally fine. That just means you're clued in. I mean, I definitely, yeah, I, I, I've been keeping tabs on Tucupita Marcano, if that's how you say it, um, simply because of that name. When it, when it came down to that, that's just one you're scrolling down and sort of you want to dig in a little bit more. And then people throw a little 60 grade hit tool on him. And oh, OK, now I'm now I'm definitely interested because I am nothing if a slave to 60 plus hit, hit grade tools. So that is that's my bread and butter. I will. I will go to the mat with you and your 60 grade hit tool and your 20 game raw power. And if everything else is poor, but you can make contact, I'm probably going to, going to go down sinking with you. So, yeah, I, uh, and when you, uh, who did you, you covered, let's say you covered the Dodgers and the Rays. So you got to essentially cover the, uh, the world series competitors there in a time. Yeah. I got the, the Rays, which are ridiculously deep. And then the Dodgers, which are not as deep as they've been in years past, but two great player development pipelines for sure. Yeah, no, those those are going to be some some robust organizations for sure, and organizations that seem to get a lot more out of their talent than your than your average major league baseball team, at least. Although, it seems like more and more teams are figuring out their their stride, their path when it comes to some of that. Hopefully, the Pirates, my guys, can continue to be a little bit better at developing the talent they have. Did you uh, did you find anyone in either one of those organizations that surprised you or maybe disappointed you? Yeah, I would say, so personally, I, I looked at this from, first of all, a non-fantasy perspective, which was, I, I feel like a little bit different than some of the other lists on pitcher lists, but um, I feel like you have to get to the big leagues first to be fantasy relevant. So I was kind of, I organized it at first based on that, and then kind of altered the upside as I went based on fantasy value. But obviously the Rays have a ridiculously deep system with Wander and Randy at the top. Um, and of course they made some trades along the way while I was writing this. Um, so some additions, I think they probably have 10 to 15 top 
100 guys. Um, but one of the guys I really liked was Taylor Walls going into it. Um, he, I, I initially had him ranked seventh, and then the Padres and Rays made a couple trades. That pushed him down to 11th, but I'd think he's probably still close to top 100, um, at least for me. Uh, he's a switch hitter. The Rays have a ton of small switch hitting shortstops, middle infielder, middle of the diamond athletic guys um, that have, they've kind of tapped into their power. Um, and Taylor Walls, I think he's 24. So everyone talks about Wanda Franco, but I think if the Rays needed a short, if Willie Adamas went down tomorrow with an injury, Taylor Walls would be the opening day shortstop. He's got a elite fielding short, an elite fielding shortstop, um, quality hit tool, emerging power, just kind of good all around. So he was someone that I hadn't heard a lot about going into the list, but someone that I really like now going into the season. It's interesting that you, that you started it with, with sort of the, I guess the non-fantasy aspect, because when I first started getting into prospecting and trying to do some top fifties, you know, I, I started out over prospects 1500 and it was, I wanted to just sort of abandon that aspect of the game, but the more and more that I've, I've been doing it, you know, the more important that the ability to actually make the major leagues obviously becomes when it comes to how'd I miss, you know, why was I wrong about this guy? Why is this guy staying down longer than his statistics might, you know, might indicate he would, and usually it comes down to that defense. And so if, if you have a player that doesn't even have that baseline, it can be really hard to, uh, to let their bat hit their way to the major leagues. Cause as much as our game is, is half the game in a lot of ways, uh, defense matters quite a bit in major league baseball. At least so I've heard. So yeah. And, uh, anyone in the, anyone in the Dodgers organization stand out to you? Cause that's uh, there's some fun names in there. Yeah, there is the one guy that really stood out for me. The Dodgers have a handful of, and then similar to the archetypes that the Padres had, these two teams both had very obvious kind of prototypical players that they targeted. But the Dodgers have a number of guys that they, they target big, tall starters. Um, and so kind of going past that first wave of like Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, those type of guys. I, I really like um, Andre Jackson down there. He is 2017, believe like 12th rounder. Um, he was a two-way guy at Utah. So he just recently started pitching full-time, um, similar to Josiah Gray, who was their top prospect. Um, but he had Tommy John surgery pretty early, and I think that kind of made him fall a little bit. But he's 6'6". Six, six. Um, he's, he's what they look like. He throws very downhill, um, 94 to 96, with a pretty good curve. Um, and apparently he's developing a cutter or flutter as well. Um, he was added to the 40-man pretty recently. Um, I think he's definitely a bullpen weapon soon and potentially a multi-inning reliever or even starter if they want to stretch him out. Yeah, I guess you just summed up the Dodgers' philosophy on arms right there. He's a power reliever or maybe a multi-inning guy or maybe a starter. It's take your poison. Yeah, or or we'll, we're going to have you do all three and, and drive all fantasy managers bat wild. Well, those are those are definitely some some interesting names. And I mean, top 50s can be, can be a grind. They can definitely be a be a lot of fun you can find some stuff but and you can get to some bad organizations i can and i feel your pain a little bit on uh trying to do a top 50 and then having a trade go down i was very lucky that two of the teams uh that i was covering the mets and the the and cleveland that they made they made the trade together so i'd already written up a bunch of the mets guys and i saw saw that they'd all got traded i was worried and then i realized oh it's okay i'm just going to write them up on that list as well and the cleveland organization got so much deeper with that with that Francisco Lindor trade. I mean, I know I, I would hate it from a Cleveland fan perspective, 
And I think down the road, and, and if you bet on your ability to continue to develop the pitching and you bet on your ability to continue to develop, uh, you know, contact oriented with a little bit of nascent power middle infielders like Cleveland has, uh, I don't know. I, I recently actually came out and I, I, the tone of the Roos signing for the White Sox, I think is, is obviously abysmal. And I, and now with the Eloy Jimenez news today that maybe he's got some deeper shoulder issues than just a sore shoulder. I could, I could absolutely see Cleveland stealing second place in that division behind the twins, because as talented as the White Sox are, everything just falls apart either by injury or simply because they have someone running the ship that doesn't know how to use the pieces that he has. I don't know where, where are you guys at on uh, if you had to pick the top three in the, in the AL central, who would you go with one, two, three? Uh, I would probably still take the White Sox, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland won it. And like the twins are probably my third on that list. But I think like Cleveland has proven to develop pitchers so incredibly well that the, uh, the interesting question of like depth in the upcoming season that like, we don't really know, obviously people didn't pitch as many innings as normal last year, but people were throwing the entire time. So like, well, we always hear everyone referencing like, Oh God, like everyone's going to get hurt. It's like, these are professional athletes. They were throwing the entire time. So they aren't like, they weren't just hanging out, but we don't know what the impact of like the lack of games is going to be in the upcoming year. And if I was going to be confident in someone to just continuously churn pitchers in the AL central, Cleveland applies the best reputation of doing that. That's why I think they're in a good position to exceed expectations. Yeah. What what about you, Natan? Who would you go one, two or three in the uh, AL central? I still probably have Cleveland as the three, I think, depending on the Eloy Jimenez and, and how things shake out. I think it's, it's kind of a toss-up between the White Sox and Twins. Um, I just think that at, as good as Cleveland's pitching is, I think their bullpen got worse from not great last year. Um, I, I like what I'm seeing from Andres Jimenez, but I, I, I definitely think there's a – third team in that division white Sox have great pitching i think their bullpen is a lot better um they have some guys down there cody howard um aaron bummer liam hendricks obviously I, I i think they got some really good guys down there in the bullpen um and then the twins they they still got cruz donaldson and, and i mean the, the pitching is still good too i mean maeda and jose barrios are, are pretty solid one too um, so as good as the Cleveland starters are, I, I think they're definitely the third team in that division still. Yeah, I think on paper they're they're certainly the third team. I'm almost just betting on the wonkiness of baseball to to surprise us there because it's it just feels it, I don't know. That's just that's just the the feeling I get in the air and, and the Tony La Russa stuff and the Twins sort of constantly being there, but also floundering when it matters is I don't know all those things swirling. I think it's going to be sort of a fun division. I also wouldn't be surprised if. Cleveland finished fourth and the Royals out of nowhere were just third because they, you know, that's, that's, I agree. I think they are on paper, the third team, but I don't know if I had to place a high stakes bet, toss a little fiber on, on the Indians to, uh, to, to get to second over the, over the White Sox. But I like the twins too. I think they got a lot of, a lot of good depth, especially when it comes to pitching in the minor leagues that might be able to help if everything goes South on them as it were. Um, well, I'm curious. We have a lot of changes in the minor leagues this year when it comes to some of these experimental rules. And I'll start with you, Natan. Do you have any takes or thoughts on the stuff they are trying out at the minor leagues this year? With So we got restricted shifts. 
We have the auto strike zone. These are all at different levels. And then we have limited step-offs and yeah, do you, do you I'm curious, what, what do you feel about, uh, about some of those experimental rules and also sort of, do you feel that's going to change anything in the minor league landscape that you have? And imagine being, imagine playing with an automatic strike zone for half the season and then again, getting called up and all of a sudden that's different and gone and you're playing with restricted shifts. So any, uh, any takes on, on all those weird things happening to minors this year? I mean, I have a kind of blanket take on the whole thing, which is what that I'm, I'm fine with all of it as like an experiment. I think trying new things is good. Um, I think the one thing I'm really excited for is the pitch clock. I feel like we've needed the pitch clock. They've had the pitch clock for a while. Um, they're shortening it to 15 seconds now. I think it's been 20. Um, so as guys are coming up, like they're used to it now. So I think that's something that definitely needs to be implemented in the major soon. Um, the restricted shifts I'm less in on. I think it could go either way. I think that has more of an actual effect on the game. I, it's very hard to hit a baseball, obviously, especially, you know, hitting it in a particular direction. But I think just limiting, I mean, no other sport limits where players can play um, for the most part. So I think that's just kind of a little, I, I'm not as much of a fan of that. The auto strike zone, I, I, I like, I think as long as you still have human umpires on the field, um, and that's, you know, not actual robots out there. I, I'm all for it. Um, I think it's going to affect how we view catcher framing a lot. I mean, a lot of work has gone into to looking at the value of catcher framing. Um, and all that works basically out the window once an automatic strike zone is in, which for better or for worse, I think, I think definitely for the better. Um, and then with limited step off, the only thing I have about that is it might make it too easy to steal. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. Um, I believe the rule is you get two um and then if on the third it's either you if you don't pick them off it's a box so that i'm less for i think that is a little gimmicky if you will i i'm, I'm not as much of a fan of that but once again I'm, I'm i'm open to trying new things so if it makes the game more entertaining we need it absolutely i mean i feel like the, the maybe the corollary for restricting shifts is how they limit zone defenses in the NBA to try to promote the one-on-one -on -one game. And I mean, it, it certainly has an effect in, in that game. When I'm, when I'm watching college basketball, it feels like almost a different sport than when I'm watching the NBA and not just because the athletes are, you know, several steps ahead, but it, it, it'll be weird. I mean, initially I was sort of against the restricted shifts, but give it a shot. We'll see. We'll see. We'll play around the sandbox. We'll mess around with it. We'll see how slap hitters do in that league when, uh, when you can't shift and maybe, I don't know, it'll just be very interesting to see what the outcome is The the limited step-offs I do share some, you know, some of your concerns. It's like, well, if I know you can't throw it over, how does that change how I approach things? How does that change how the catcher approaches things? How does that change what pitch is thrown? It's going to, it's going to, that one is, is going to get very interesting. You, uh, you got any takes on, on some of these new things they're trying out there in the minor leagues, Jack? I think mostly I agree basically with everything I've said before. Like, I just like the idea of experimenting with all these things. The minor leagues are the perfect place to move it over from the Atlantic league. Like they've already tried most of this stuff already in an MLB owned independent league. So it's not like they're just taking a guess. And I think that it's interesting. Like it's, it's worth a try to see what happens. Like the, the difference in the shifting would be not that you can't have guys all over the place. You just can't put infielders in the outfield. So I guess that the inspiration of that is to raise marginally raise left-handed babips, but uh, we'll see how it goes. 
I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure how, how that'll sort of work out. You can still, yeah, I guess theoretically you could still overload one side of the infield as long as they were all touching the dirt. So yeah, as much as they're going to experiment, I feel like the, the players and the coaches down there will also experiment, right? Like you're going to throw that experiment out there and then they're going to try to sort of zig and zag and the automated strike zone is going to be interesting to see how it actually works in real time. I know they've, they've played around a little bit with that uh, here and there. So I'm curious to see how that develops because I definitely am, I'm, am for that change if, if it's done effectively and well and it actually limits the amount of, I guess we'll call it controversy, because ever since they've, they've given us that floating rectangle in the strike zone, all I do is just get really, really, really angry when I watch Major League Baseball games that matter, which I don't do that often as a Pirates fan yet, but in, when I'm watching the World Series – I, it's 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 infuriating to see how how bad some of the calls are and i almost wish i didn't have that little square to because it you know in a lot of ways it doesn't matter right like it's a striker of ball. if the umpire calls it a striker of ball, i really don't want to know mm. i don't need a 3d image of the plate to let me know that they were wrong because that just becomes wildly infuriating but we'll move on from that i it's gonna be an interesting minor league season i i'm sort of happy to to have another even another variable to to sort through when it comes to analyzing prospects in the game are you guys uh, are you guys both fantasy players? Are you both doing some drafts right now? Where's uh, how many how many leagues are you in? You know what's what's your anguish when it comes to that? I'll start with uh, I'll start with you, Jack. Uh, I'm in two leagues. I've drafted for one of them, and that that answers your question pretty much. Yes, like I'm not freaking out about it because I pay attention to stuff every day of the year. So it's like it's just when draft day comes, I just do it and then keep going with what I've been doing already. Yeah, is that a the two leagues you're in both dynasty leagues? No, one is just friends from home. And the other one is like friends from when I worked at baseball and solutions. Interesting. Yeah. I find that it can be, it can be challenging at times to be the type of person that is checking on things every single day, you know, 365 days a year. And you'll contact that person about a trade and they're like, I don't know, it's football season. I'm not even looking at it. You're like, what, what, how dare you? How dare you not look at baseball all day long every day? It's ridiculous. Uh, what about, uh, what about you, Natan? You got a, uh, you know, you're in school. And I think when I was in school, I was maybe in 1700 leagues. So yeah. What's uh, what's your dynasty life like? Um, it's non-existent. I am also not in a dynasty league, which is going to be kind of underwhelming for on a dynasty podcast, but dynasty is a commitment. Um, I'm currently in three, currently drafting for, for three leagues currently. Um, one of two of them for pitcher list and one from home, but uh, no, no dynasty at the moment. No dynasty. We're going to have to fix that, sir. We're going to have to get you into a nice and juicy dynasty league so that you can, you can, you gotta, you gotta earn that salt. You gotta make your mistakes. You gotta freak out about some players, DOSL stats and take them way too early and then see them bomb out and then see them. You gotta have the redemption. You gotta have the whole thing. We'll get there though. By, by the time you're out of school and you know, you're my age and, you've lost more than you've won and all your friends hate you and you've kicked out best friends from fantasy leagues. It's really, it's very fun. I'm going to, I agree. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to joy, misery. Um, and I, I strongly encourage you to, to, to get involved somehow. Cause once, once you go down the dynasty path, it's hard to pull yourself back up, man. It is really hard to pull yourself back up. What I'm scared of. <laughs> Don't enter the abyss, sir. Enter the abyss. Uh, and, uh, so, so yeah, I want to talk to, to Jack a little bit more about the showcases that you go to and sort of what you're, what you're, what you're looking for and what you're looking at. 
when it comes to, you know, young talent, what are you trying to clue in on? And uh, I guess I, I, I just want to hear you wax a little poetical about, about what that world is like. Cause it's, it's certainly a world that I've never been a part of. And it seems like your prospecting starts well in advance of, uh, of even contracts and, and professional baseball. So what's uh, what's that, what's that world like and sort of what, what have you seen recently that's uh, ignited your passions? Sure. So on the high school side, that hasn't fired up yet. That ha- that begins probably around like June 1st. So everything I've been doing so far has been college baseball bubble events. So in January, I was in, uh, in Lakeland, Florida, where like down by where the Tigers are. And I was at a JUCO event. That was wild because junior colleges are like just unpoliced more or less. So you can see anything happening down there. That was a huge disparity in like talent and skill with Chipola probably being the best school that I saw. And uh, you have to give me a minute to think about it. They had one kid that's committed to go to, I think South Carolina was throwing like mid nineties. So like he was like a very real prospect at a good Juco, just doing it for a year before he moves on to a, a real sec school. But so far this year, after the JUCO event, it's been all college. So I was at the State Farm event in Arlington. I was at the event, the Shriners Classic in Houston. And then I was at a Big Ten event in Greenville where the Red Sox have one of their affiliates. So first and foremost, my job is to make sure that like what we're capturing is good to be delivered to Major League Baseball teams. So like that is actually the number one priority, not actually going out and like scouting players. Right. However, like I have access to the whole stadium. And then after the game's done, I get to look at anything I want from any angle I want. Cause I've, I usually have like 10 cameras running, filming the field in various angles. From there, it's not particularly hard. I mean, I get to sit where like the scouts are or in the press box. So I'll just talk to them about like anything they notice or anything I notice. And then, usually just goes from there pitchers it's pretty easy in college like the friday starter is nine out of ten times by far the best pitcher on the staff so uh that's not the case everywhere i realize like unknowns happen and like freshmen pop up in the middle of the year that are great but so far that's been very very consistent like i haven't had i don't i can't think of an example of one that didn't happen like for te- like when I saw Texas, Ty Madden is their best pitcher. I saw Michigan, Stephen Hadger, H A J J A R. He's like a like a poor man's Cliff Lee. Was the best pitcher they had, and it's been that way everywhere. And then it's just like cue in on shortstops, center fielders, and catchers because those are going to be the best athletes nine out of ten times. See where they're hitting in the lineup because. Uh, if the coach doesn't know the players better than you, then like, then there's something really wrong. But like, you just, you cue in on the external factors first and then follow what like the obvious hints are. So it's like, okay, who's hitting third? And it's like, oh, they have a freshman shortstop hitting third on Ole Miss. It's like, okay, this is gonna be a person that, if I don't know anything, I haven't even seen him touch a baseball yet, but like he's gonna be a person that I wanna pay some attention to. And you just go from there. You can look at team rankings to get a good idea of like where the talent lies and focus on that harder. 
and I guess just having the time to do all this is probably like the, the best thing that I have access to. It's like most people can't just sit down and just watch game after watch three games in a day live. But like for me, it's like I'm getting paid to go and watch three games in a day live. So it's nothing like there's no extraordinary hint that I can give to anyone else to go out and like start finding guys early. The way to do it would just be be there, figure out like what the best teams are and then go after the skill positions first because the lower the levels get, the the greater the discrepancy between the best player and the worst player and the team becomes. And from there, it's going to be like pretty clear who who they want to like be their shining star and they will do everything they can to make that player a focal point. It's, uh, it's interesting that you, you say, you know, like the, we talk about up the middle and how, how important that is obviously, but there's a reason why it can feel like every single prospect who is 18 years old or under is a shortstop. And it's because they have been the best player on their team pretty much across the board for almost their entire lives. I mean, I'm pretty sure Torkelson played shortstop in high school, you know, that, that type of thing. So it's just, that's, that is, those are very good indicators to check out. I'm uh, I've always not, I, I don't really understand uh, the relationship between the Juco world and the, the college world. And it, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really uh, the more prospect narratives I read, right? So you can dig into the skills, you can dig into the stat lines, you can dig into the video. But what I found is that you can definitely learn a little bit and it can help you get a leg up in certain dynasty leagues and just in prospecting in general to, to figure out why a player, you know, why a player maybe transferred away from a school, why a player transferred away from a, you know, a, a, a large conference school to a JUCO school to get an opportunity when a player decides to transfer from JUCO to someplace like the SEC because they've actually gotten a spot. And I guess is that to you just something that you would keep an eye on in terms of making sure that players are getting starts or how do you treat the difference between the Juco world where you can have a heck of a lot of talent, but it's not quite as crystallized, if you will, as some of those, like you say, bigger SEC teams, ACC and uh, you know, and the like. So, you know, is there anything that you've found when it comes to comparing the Juco world and the, you know, sort of we'll call it the big conference world where, you know, there's big differences or, you know, things to look out for. Cause I don't, I don't often know what to do sometimes when someone has absolutely annihilated a Juco league compared to someone absolutely annihilating a mid conference compared to someone being pretty good, but not incredible at a large conference. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of curious if as what you've learned about, about all those different worlds as you've been, you know, being paid to watch baseball. You know, I mean, from, if you're going to care about it from the perspective of someone playing fantasy baseball, I would say just don't devote any time to it whatsoever. It's just going to be so much harder and so many more players and such a limited amount of return on that investment that you couldn't just get by waiting until they came to a, probably a D one school and then getting like real coverage. But it's like, it is the wild West. Like they're, I don't really know what like drug testing is like down there. I don't know the reason that a lot of these guys end up there. Cause it's not always talent based. Sometimes like there's a guy that you just might not want to have on your college team. And a lot of schools that that guy wanted to go to figured that out. So he's at a Juco trying to change his narrative. I mean, there's always, there's always a reason 
there's a reason that we're going to say ending up at a juco as opposed to like getting into a juco like they're these people it wasn't their goal it's just like a it's a, a road less traveled that hopefully they can go to like go the juco route and then get into the school that they initially wanted to go to in the first place there are instances of a player being blocked and like moving down but it's not it's not like that's an overwhelming thing and when it is uh being blocked uh 99 times out of 100 will also mean that the person was better than the original guy so like your attention should probably be going to the guy blocking the other player versus the blocked player. So from the sense of people in fantasy baseball, which is like the entire target market of this thing, I would say uh, junior college baseball, unless you have one in your hometown is something that you don't need to, uh, it just doesn't need to be something that you're paying attention to. Like it's major league baseball teams aren't even diving in on it incredibly hard. They're just keeping tabs on these guys to figure out what's going on. So it's not a, it's not necessary at all for anyone to say like, Oh, Bryce Harper had like a 1500 OPS at the college of Southern Nevada. Like we all knew who Bryce Harper was before he got there. Like, I don't, there aren't many people. I can't think of anyone else that went to a Juco and we discovered them there. Interesting. Okay. So I think the, 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 my, my, my radar is perked up massively when you're like, well, major league baseball teams are not even really investing time and, you know, not as much time. Right. I'm sure, like you said, they're keeping tabs, but if major league baseball teams are not, uh, are not doing it yeah, it probably doesn't need to fall under the, uh, under the fantasy baseball managers responsibilities, if you will, unless they're playing some preposterously deep open universe system that frankly shouldn't be allowed for all of our sanities. Um, yeah, there are scouts there, and like you will, but it's nowhere near what you see when you go to a college tournament. Like they'll be, they'll be dispersed around the place. Like if it's like out the JUCO tournament I was at was two fields, and the majority of the time, every single scout that was there was only watching one field. So an entire matchup was getting totally ignored because they had already decided like these guys weren't worth their time. Right, they're just so, hyper focused. Yeah. So it's like, they know that these few guys are who they want to get. Maybe, maybe one team has a guy bring an edgetronic camera there and like be capturing while the game is going on. And it's just like a, it's the beginning of the process of figuring out the trajectory of the player, as opposed to getting a true eval and like knowing this is the guy that we want because they're the person's still three years away. Like no one, they don't get to jump right in the number of Juco's that have a track, man. There's like maybe five out of hundreds of Juco's. So that means like you have to do it like the old fashioned way. You show up with a radar gun and figure it out, which at the college level is kind of, it's just old school. So it's, it's just deeper than anyone in our position needs to go. Yeah, no, I think I think that's well said. Uh, Natan, I'm curious about what you are, you know, sort of hoping to really provide with your weekly prospect report that you're going to produce and how deep you're going to go. And I guess, you know, I think that is going to be something that keeping tabs on, it's not something we were able to do last year, but keeping tabs on how players are performing in the season is something that a lot you know, a lot of fantasy players, dynasty players, general fans 
aren't necessarily as clued in on because they're distracted by the major league game and, you know, what they're actively, you know, playing in. But that said, if you're, you know, if you're not necessarily keeping tabs on, on some breakout performances or some performances that are very poor, you know, you're going to miss out on, on the market valuations for, for some of these players. So what, uh, what is your prospect report, you know, really going to look like when the season gets going and you get new minor league games? What's, what's sort of your game plan, bud? That's an interesting question because it's yet to be determined um, what it's going to look like when the season starts. But for spring training so far, I've mainly just been going through the highlights. Um, and that's not completely on purpose, but more just it's easier to highlight the players that are doing well as opposed to writing about Alex Kirilov going over 20 on the week, um, which I, I think towards the end of spring training, um, I, I definitely want to focus uh, focus in on the, the roster, the, the player battles, the position battles, the ones that are close to making the team. Um, like Jonathan India, I think I mentioned in, in week one, you know, he's pushing for a starting role. And I think I, I didn't really believe that when I wrote it, to be completely honest with you, but here he is pushing for a starting role in week, week four, whatever it is, of spring training. So um, I, I think that's pretty... Um, that's, that's something I wanted to focus on was kind of the, the position battles and the prospects that maybe came out of nowhere. Um, but also just kind of highlighting prospects in general, because we haven't really seen them in a full year. So there are prospects that, I mean, if they were hidden at the alternate site, even prospects that were just drafted that, you know, people hadn't seen. Um, and so especially the ones with, with, with StatCast and some of the, the stadiums in, in spring right now, um, especially looking at the ones that have that to see, you know, exit velocity, because those are real takeaways. I think for the most part, spring training takeaways can be few and far between with, you know, what to weigh and what to not weigh in terms of like actual performance. But I think for, for stack cut stuff and then mechanical changes, um, growth, stuff like that with prospects that you can physically see um, either via StatCast or just with your eyes just by watching. I think that's actually stuff that we can take away and is really necessary after not seeing many of them for a full year. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a very interesting and integral tool for a lot of fantasy players, especially trying to capitalize on some things that are happening in the minor leagues that are harder to keep tabs on. I mean, you can check, you know, you got to check a lot of box scores in the major league baseball. You got to watch a lot of baseball. It can be tough to uh, sometimes have the time or the energy to go in and, and check all the things that are happening in the minor leagues. So I will certainly be using that this year. And, you know, I'm planning to use this podcast to sort of be able to watch a game or two uh, a week of more than likely, you know, some high level starters and see how they perform and try to give like, Hey, I watched, you know, I watched Logan Gilbert. Uh, this is how he was looking. This is what he was touching all those things. So trying to really use that minor league baseball TV subscription to, give people a lot of information that uh, they might otherwise not have the time to get at because they are watching major league baseball or living their lives. Cause that takes quite a bit of time with, uh, with that in mind, I'm sort of curious uh, if you guys have, you know, are there some players, like you mentioned, we haven't seen these guys in a long time and I'll, I'll start with Uniton. Is there anyone out there that you are particularly interested to see how they do this year um, when it comes to, uh, to prospects? Just in, in general? Yeah, just in general. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's some guys out there that, like, for, for me, one of those guys would be Brian Rocchio. Uh, I'm just, I'm a huge Brian Rocchio fan, and it's a, it's a player that I, he was on the way to break out. He's got interesting batted ball data for a small little, you know, contact-oriented hitter. Um, 
And he also wasn't even able to get to the alternate training site because he was stuck in Venezuela on, on visa issues. And so there's guys like that out there that I think because of the lost season, I'm more interested in seeing what they were able to maintain throughout the, throughout the year and what they do when they, when they come back into professional, you know, professional at bats. And, you know, part of that is I'm interested from a fantasy perspective to try to capitalize on sort of a simmering market. We'll almost call it for a player. You know, there's going to be players that if they had played last year and we had a normal year, their price tags would be way up. They'd be top 80, top 50 prospects, but because we lost a season, in the minor leagues, there isn't necessarily that to go on. And so you're, you you know, you're obviously left guessing, but I'm just tantalized to, uh, you know, to, to really see what they do when the rubber hits the road. So I'm sort of curious if you have anyone like that, that maybe it's just a prospect crush because we all have those um, that you are, you know, anxious to, to get eyes on. Yeah. uh, I got a couple. I would say the first one is Michael Harris, um, an outfielder with the Braves. He was drafted I think second round a couple years ago, right from their backyard, like they always do. Um, sweet swinging outfielder, got lots of tools. I think the power speed combination is obviously what's tantalizing for, for from a dynasty perspective. Um, but I, there were, I think Chipper Jones, or may, maybe I got this wrong, but that's someone out of Braves camp at the old site last year said he was left-handed Ron Lacuna, which I – I don't want to hype him up that much. I feel like that's a pretty high bar to hit, but I, I, he definitely has the tools um, to put something together. He's pretty young. I think he was one of the younger ones in the draft class um, in his year. Um, so he's someone that I, I want to take see take the next step um, next year. And then also with um, the Dodgers, or, or sorry, with, with the Royals, I, I like what they're doing with their young pitching. Um, Jackson Cowers is a guy that I, I kind of like as someone who could make a major league impact this year. Um, I, I, I like what they're doing with the young pitchers there, but I think he's kind of fallen a little bit below. I mean, also Lacey and Daniel Lynch are definitely high profile guys. So Cowers definitely a step below them. Um, but I think he can be a legitimate, you know, mid rotation starter, give you consistent innings. Um, and his fastball was getting up towards 96 in his last spring outing. So Showing some velo for sure. I just took uh, uh, Cower Cower in uh, in the draft and stash that Travis Shear does, where it's just you take you take rookie eligible guys and it's games played and innings pitched is the only two metrics, and you're just you're adding them together and whoever has the most of those at the end of the year. And Cower was my uh, I think my eleventh or twelfth round pick because yeah, I agree. I think I do like what's happening with the Royals. I think they're they're showing some ability to to get a lot out of those pitching prospects. Still don't love necessarily what they've what they've done with hitters, but you know the World Series a while back proves that they they don't they're not totally wrong about what they're doing. They can develop some talent and and have it all come up at the same time. So I am I'm, that's those are left-handed Ron Acuna is definitely something I'm going to remember, and it's going to make me uh, scrutinize Mr. Harris a little bit deeper than uh, than I was before this podcast because that is that's no joke, and people don't often say that lightly. They might often be wrong. In fact, I would say they usually are wrong, but uh, they're not going to say that lightly. So that's that's something to uh, to keep tabs on for sure. What about uh, what about you, Jack? You got uh, any prospect crushes out there? You're just dying to see swing or throw. You know, I think I have a crush on anyone specifically. And like to piggyback on what was said before, I think that this year might be the best opportunity for anyone that doesn't have the best farm in their whole league to take a huge jump because they're going to be more 
breakouts and flops than we're used to because we have no idea what has happened in the past year and a half since the last time we saw a lot of these guys actually play games. So I guess if I was to say like there are people that I'm really interested in seeing what they could do, it would be the J2 guys that never actually got to play or the guys that were just in complex ball that showed up this year. And now we're like trying to figure out where they actually lie. So like on the super high end, like Jason Dominguez is a person that I think everyone is really interested in because he's probably got the widest array of possible outcomes, like of any player in the entire minor leagues, like a year from now, he could be the best minor league player in all of minor leagues. And a year from now, he could also be Kevin Maiton. So it's like, we have no idea what he's like. We just know that he's similar to like a, uh, he has tools like a Ronald Acuna, except his body is kind of just hammered down into the ground a little bit. And he's just squashed wide compared to like what Acuna looks like. So it would be a lot of those guys over and over again. Like we've all started to, as insane as what we were hearing about Bobby Witt was, like after he'd only played in the complex, like that is, it's probably a combination of being very hot and also like good development in the time that he had to himself, which I guess isn't surprising since he has uh, an MLB father and like was definitely on the right path. But like to say, what is going to happen with like Marco Luciano? If we haven't seen him since he, like he assassinated the AZL. And then all we know is that he went to, you know, San Francisco and then had a year in the Bay area where he did the uh, alt site stuff. And then we haven't seen him at all. Or like Noel V. Marte. We have no idea what's happened to this guy. He was like the DS. He was the best player in the DSL. And then, he got sent up to the Pacific Northwest and we have no idea what this guy's been doing. Like the Mariners gave us bits and pieces of some of these people, but there are plenty of teams that gave us nothing the whole time. So the J2, I mean, it's going to be mostly Latin guys that we haven't seen, but the people that were the budding high school guys that went straight to the complex and we only got to see for a minute and really only got an idea of like, a better idea of like tool grades, but don't have any idea what their skills are. Right. Cause like when tools develop and become skills, like you, that's when a star is born. So it's like, maybe that's what happened is happening with Bobby Witt. We have no idea. And that's probably the thing I'm most interested in like queuing in on. And then I guess like, if we wanted to pick at individual people that I'm interested in seeing what happens, I feel like, like Vidal Brujan was a guy who probably would have debuted last year in a normal season. I feel like Kiba Ruiz would have had like more of a shot last year if we had a longer season. Um, I don't know. Those are probably like, there aren't a ton of names that like I'm really dying to see because I have no idea who the $10,000 guys that none of us are familiar with at all right now, who like will be taking the, whatever the Jose Ramirez path or like Juan Soto was he was paid well, but he Juan Soto was nowhere near the number one prospect in his class. Well, like when he signed internationally could be, you know, just below what like outsiders have been getting access to. Yeah. I, I, all the, all the J2 guys that are highly touted that we have nothing on 
right? Those, those are definitely really interesting. And then all those guys that wrecked the summer league, but never have gotten that chance to go stateside lost that, that, that year. I don't know. It's, it's certainly, I think, I think you're, what you said is dead on. We are going to see more quote unquote breakouts and more flops than we have ever seen in one minor league baseball season. And then I think you're going to have, we'll see how it actually plays out in the year. If we get just a, just an absolute avalanche of, uh, of injuries, like we've never seen before, then all of a sudden you're going to be churning through those minor league players even more. And the promotions and the call-ups and the needs, the major league level could could push some players uh, in, in, you know, into situations that maybe they're not ready for. Maybe they absolutely are ready for, but they have, haven't been able to show it off because of the lost year. So, yeah, I think, I think all of that is a, uh, is a, is a very good point and something to, like you said, you really, if you, if you do your homework and you, you know, you make some nice strategic bets, you're going to be able to restock your farm for cheaper as a dynasty player for cheaper than maybe you ever have because of the lack of information and some people not really knowing how to handle that. So dynasty players, uh, do your homework, read picture list, read everything you can watch some video, listen to your podcast. I mean, there's, there's nuggets information out there that you can get at that are going to help you get ahead. And then of course, be careful because there's not as much information as there used to be. So don't get, uh, don't get too drunk on one little thing about maybe this guy's left-handed Ronald Acuna. Don't get crazy about it now, but yeah, keep, keep tabs on it all. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on. It's a, uh, it's a little bit of an on the farm tradition to finish the podcast with what I like to call prospect survivor. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but a bunch of people don't eat for a while and get voted off an Island. And, uh, it, uh, I find it to be interesting and, uh, a slice of human nature that we don't often get at. And then aided, of course, by editing, which this podcast will be as well. So, uh, yeah, with with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give each of you three names and you're going to tell me who you are voting off the island. You have to get rid of someone. So this isn't, uh, oh, pick three names. Who do you like the best? This is, you know, Sophie's Choice situation. You got to let someone go. So here's what we're going to do. I got the three names and I'm going to go to Natan first after I'm given the names, which actually might give Jackson time to think, but so oh, we get the same names. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm going to give you the same names. I want to, I want to see if there's uh, see if there's some difference here. So, all right. These are all definitely high powered prospects. No slouches here. No, no digging for diamonds on the, you know, outside of the top 300. We're going upper crust. I got first guy, Riley green, recently 115.8 miles per hour off the bat. It was just a double. And then I have Christian Robinson, one of those maybe slightly unpolished guys who uh, would have needed last year's reps, but things were mixed from the alternate site, hit some bombs, maybe had trouble with spin, maybe wasn't that fast, who knows. And then we have recently demoted and uh, had a very hard time hitting in spring training, which Natano is all about, Alex Kirilov. So we essentially have three outfielders slash first place slash DH for Kirilov. And you have to vote one of these guys off the island. They can never play for your fantasy teams, and you're, you're never going to be able to enjoy any of the spoils of that. So, again, Riley Green, Christian Robinson, Alex Kirilov, who are you voting off the island with Todd? If we're going from a fantasy perspective, or are we going from in general? Or we're going we're to go, go to a fantasy perspective on this one. From a fantasy perspective, that, that's a good trio because I think Robinson is the less polished Kirilov is definitely the closest, and then Green is probably the best mix. But I would say I'm pretty high on Christian Robinson, um, so I would probably say Kirilov. 
home right now that maybe that's recency bias from the tough spring, but I'm skeptical of the, the first base slugging first base DH types. I know we can play outfield a little bit, um, but I think he's more of a replaceable guy. I know, I mean, he's still a great prospect. Um, I wouldn't say he, he's, you know, bad in any way. He's definitely got, you know, boatloads of power, but I think in terms of multi-dimensional players and guys I think we're going to be you know the most well-rounded I think Riley Green is definitely the best of those three um and then Christian Robinson has a chance to be um kind of a five tool four four tool threat um whereas Kira Loss is definitely going to have you know two or three great tools but I think he's limited to a corner role okay all right Mr. Jack who are you who are you voting off the island whose torch are you snuffing Christian Robinson uh, it, I honestly, as soon as you put him in the list, he was the first person to think about cutting. Like it was, so Riley Green, I'm just, I just really enjoy because he's blended uh, skills with tools like early. Uh, Alex Kirilov has like a history of performance. So like he's already gone along, like, like Alex Kirilov, these guys, all three of these guys destroy baseball. So it's not like, like Christian Robinson is living on the, the legend of Christian Robinson. And the other guys have very similar skill sets to Christian Robinson. So it's like, I would rather have the guys who are proving to be baseball players while having like the same sort of background as him. And Christian Robinson can probably play center field or he currently can play center field. He also might be a guy who weighs like 250 pounds in like two years from now. So that'll probably squash that. But he has the hardest time hitting a baseball by far of the three people listed. And like, if you have a, if you're showing that early, it's like a, it's a skill that rarely, it's the hardest skill to improve of all these things. Like I've got a, like I built a whole model on like swing decisions and like part of it is conductability. And it really doesn't, a lot of these guys don't change that much over time. Like the really good approach hitters were really good approach hitters in low A, high A, double A, triple A, like all the way through. They've been doing it their whole life. So I'm not confident that a guy like Robinson ever actually fully displays all of the athletic ability that he has. I, I'm, I, I, uh, I'm with you on this one, Jack. I, I also would vote off Christian Robinson. I mean, I, I just tend to shy away from the toolsy guys because I think it's, it's sort of the sexy stuff. But when it comes down to, I, I tend to gravitate a little bit more towards the, for lack of a better term, the high baseball IQ sort of grinder, getting the most out of his skills and advanced approach, contact abilities. I think, like you said, it can be hard to teach contact abilities. It can be hard to, to really change your stripes in a lot of ways from the player that you are, like you said, they don't necessarily change that much. And when dramatic changes are actually able to be implemented, some players, you know, can really benefit, but it's rare. And so when it comes to, you know, someone like Riley Riley green, who can really, really put the bat on the ball and do damage um, and seems to have knowledge of the strike zone and ability to recognize spin and deal with it, all those things I love. I, you know, but I will say I, I do share a little bit of what Natan is saying about Kirilov in that he does have that, that great bat. And I mean, you know, he's, he's been, he's been swinging it since he was born with his dad as a swing coach or whatever, but um, he does seem like he has limited upside. And all of a sudden, if he's a first baseman, 
he might need to uh, to sacrifice a little bit of that contact for a little bit more power. And that maybe is changing his game plan. And maybe that is the thing that is successful. Maybe it's not. And so he is a little bit more limited. But when it comes to, you know, variance, um, I like to go towards the floor. And it seems like Kirloff's got a good floor. Robinson's floor could be very low uh, when it's all said and done. Also, ceiling could be very high. And green, green to me is just, you know, I don't know. I think he's the best overall player of all these three as well. So I would have a hard time, time voting him off. And then the proximity thing or whatever, when it comes to Kirilov and thinking about fantasy, I'm probably going to be the guy trading Christian Robinson this year, worried that the year off, because he's the kind of guy that, you know, those guys need reps to really turn, like you say, those tools into skills and don't really know if he got that. And that's one of the, you know, million dollar questions of the year. So I'd probably vote off uh, Christian Robinson as well, but these are all definitely very good, very good prospects. And I've, I've definitely come to find that when I'm prospecting, I try to chase floors a little bit more just because it gives you more options as a fantasy manager uh, to trade guys when they are not performing at such a low level that no one will take them. And you're sort of stuck to just, you know, let them do their thing and, and either bomb out or actually put it together. So that's sort of, you know, one of the things I, I try to chase. And then I just try to chase guys who can hit, hit the ball. You know, he can put the bat on the ball no matter, you know, what's being thrown, um, breakers, change-ups, fastballs, two-seamers, whatever it is. They know how to do that. It's just sort of an innate talent. Because I find that those guys can grow into power more than power guys can grow into contact. I feel like I need to put that on a shirt. I'm saying it almost every episode. But I just love contact hitters. And I think a guy like Tyler Freeman for Cleveland this year is an interesting example of, he was an aggressive, aggressive approach contact hitter who well, maybe he's hit the gym a little bit and maybe he's just grown up as a baseball player and he's, he's gotten 0.01 more selective on pitches he can drive. And all of a sudden he went from a five home run output to, well, maybe he can hit 10 to 15. So those are just the guys that I, I like going for, but yeah, that's uh that is prospect survivor. We got, uh, if you had to, so we all kind of trend in the same way. So if you just replaced the other two guys, kept Robinson made it him versus Corbin Carroll. Who would you be going with? Ooh. So Robinson versus they're the, Carroll. Well, they're on the same team. Exactly. So we get to like, you get to control a lot of things. They're going to be in the same environment basically the whole time. Carroll is Throw. much more the polished guy. Robinson is much more throw the tools Alex guy. You could throw Alex Thomas in there too. Just do all three Diamondbacks guys. Yeah, no, that, that would be an interesting one. I, I am all about Carroll, you know, Carroll, Carroll for me, represents a profile that I really like, which is, and this is i I'll steal this from, from Ralph Lipschitz, but you know, sort of a dynamic leadoff hitter, um, a hitter that he seems to have pretty solid on base skills, pretty solid contact skills, power is burgeoning. And the, uh, the speed is at this point, otherworldly, and he's going to have that until he doesn't. Um, and that'll, you know, be the first skill to go, but I really like Corbin Carroll. I, I, I tend to lean into a little bit of that. Hey, maybe he's Trey Turner in the outfield type stuff that, uh, that we've been hearing, you know, this last year and, and the exit velocity stuff is, is there. And it doesn't really matter that he's a little bit short and the, you know, those numbers are coming out of, uh, they're coming out of a body that isn't one that we would necessarily look at historically as producing power, but these are the things that the modern game is changing. It's not just, he can't hit home runs because he's five, eight. We've, we've had enough people disprove that. And with what we can do data wise, it seems like the typical models and molds that players are fitting into are, are changing every single day. So I'd be definitely keeping Carol there and I'd probably be bouncing Alec Thomas, to be honest with you. I, I like Alec Thomas, but I would probably chase the upside of Christian Robinson uh, of all these three. And uh, 
Yeah. I mean, Alec Thomas is also, he, I think he played his first season like 10 minutes away from where he grew up. So I'm just sort of curious to see what happens to Alec Thomas when uh, he's disconnected from his, uh, his power source of home. And uh, he's out there in the big wild world of baseball and he can't just go home and get that, that mom's home cooking. So we'll be, uh, we'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I'd probably chase the upside of Christian Robinson. Who, uh, who, uh, who would you go there in a time? Uh, I would also probably go Alec Thomas. I think, I mean, I, I, I like Christian Robinson. I, the funny thing is I also usually chase floor. Um, because I mean, like I said earlier, you have to make the majors in order to be fantasy relevant. But there's just something about Christian Rock. I mean, he obliterates the baseball. Um, he's he's is he the youngest of those three? I think he might be the youngest of those three as well. Um, so definitely the the biggest risk of those three. But I think the power that he's showing right now, and I think he has a. I think there's a fine line between showing enough contactability and no con and worrisome contactability. And I think right now he has just enough contact ability to where I think if he can be like a 45 contact and you know a 60 power with you know good speed and maybe he plays and I think he probably moves to a corner as well well I think Thomas and Carroll can probably play center a lot easier than him but I think of those three probably Thomas even though he's probably the most well-rounded of the three currently yeah. What uh? What about you, Jack? You brought up the Carol. Are you uh, are you bringing him up just to tear him down, or or what's uh? No, no, no. I I have the exact same order as as you guys. Uh, they are all the exact same age. They're all twenty years old. Okay. So like they're, I just look at Christian Robinson and I think that he could be, uh, very similar to like Cameron Maven, and that's not anything that a fantasy baseball person wants to hear. No. Cameron no. Maven has hit home runs that are like four hundred seventy five feet, and Cameron Maven's was like the fastest player on his team for like a decade and yeah and he's having a hard time finding a job the last few years because it just never seemed to coalesce together yeah no it's it is true and the road to the major leagues is, is paid paved with guys who are 35 contact dudes and 70 power and it just never goes together but yeah that is uh that's interesting i mean it's not a bad sign to uh other than uh, I hate to even bring this up because I traded for him in two leagues. But other than that horrific Zach Gallon injury that makes me want to jump off a bridge, uh, it's not a bad time to be a Diamondbacks fan. There's a lot of fun stuff coming up in that organization. So, yeah, uh, I can't even – can't, that's a whole other podcast where we just cry about the DH and the lack of it and Zach Gallon and all my fantasy teams all wrapped up into one. And I will well, – how hurt is he? I don't know. It's just like it's a weird injury, it's, right? He's it's got a stress a, fracture. Stress fracture of a, so a bone in his forearm. Okay, it's I mean probably like four to six weeks before he's throwing is what I heard. So not ideal. And he can throw. The idea is that he can throw lightly while, like, while he's recovering, which is also just to sit there and let his bones fuse back together. But he yeah. injured it. He injured it uh, in the batting cages, prepping to having to hit this year, and then they were unsure as to what it was and it wasn't a UCL soreness in his arm. It was the top uh, part of his arm and medial, I guess is what they call that. And then um, he, uh, he pitched with it and he was just having a, it, was, it wasn't comfortable to throw the curveball, And so they were worried and they, they scratched him and they, they got many different opinions and Twitter freaked out when he was getting a second opinion. Cause that obviously is makes everyone uh, very uncomfortable. 
But yeah, I guess the idea is that he has a stretch fracture in his forearm somewhere and it's just got to get back together and he can throw lightly while it does. But it's a, it's a, as quoted by other people, a very bizarre injury for a pitcher to get. So was he hit? Do we know how this, was he hit by a pitch in BP? He says, no, he says that he was jammed on, like when he was swinging, he was jammed on a, on a swing. He was jammed so bad he cracked his bones. I don't know what to tell you. Pitchers, pitchers shouldn't be hitting. (laughs) If you need any more, if you need any more uh, example of pitchers shouldn't be hitting, it's Zach Gallon getting injured. I don't even think anyone was throwing to him live. I think it was just a just a machine, and he was in the cages just trying to figure out how to hit one ten. And here we are, and now here we are for shame, for shame on Major League Baseball for using the DH as a bargaining chip in a situation that's likely going to go to hell in a handcart. Yeah, well, with all of that, Prospect Survivor in the books. We got our selections. We've had some good chats about, uh, honestly, about, you know, I'm excited to, to read what you guys write and keep tabs on you during the season. Uh, it'll be fun to, uh, to check on with, uh, with you, Jack, as well on some of the, the actual stuff you're seeing before it becomes part of our, uh, you know, professional baseball world. That's super awesome. And, Natan, I'm, I'm definitely going to be keeping tabs on your, uh, your prospect report to try to get a little edge on some of my fantasy mates when it comes to uh, keeping tabs on every single thing that's happening in the minor leagues this year. And then we'll see how all these weird experimental changes come out and if they affect development at all. I don't necessarily think they will but it's just going to be very interesting to go from game to game in minor league baseball tv and see all these different rules in all different versions of uh of this game of baseball so yeah again uh if you want to catch jack on twitter and ask him anything at any time as he said he's always available um it is at jack cecil one if you want to catch natan on twitter it is at natan n-a-t-a-n underscore c-d and the On the Farm podcast is at On the Farm PL. I am at Caught Looking with a V, not a U. And you can catch all the new Pitcherless pods, of which there are a plethora, at Pitcherless Pods. So we are on there with the uh, with the tweeting and the yelling at each other in uh, sarcastic ways and gifing and memeing and all those things. So come join us. Check out Pitcherlist. You're going to need it this year. It's a lot of stuff to sort through. And there is more happening on more happening this year at Pitcher List than ever before, which is probably a statement that's going to be true every single year until Nick Pollock uh, croaks. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Pitcher List is going to try to take over the world. So, uh, again, I want to thank both of you guys for joining me tonight. I hope you uh, didn't keep you up too late on the East Coast there while I'm chilling in my mountain time zone. But, yeah, happy baseballing to you both, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.